Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's Focus for Wednesday, November the 2nd, 2022, at 10.44 a.m. Central Time. Today's Focus, Five Signs of a spiritually immature Christian. Now, yesterday we started looking at these five signs. We looked at one, and the first sign of the spiritually immature Christian was certainty. Now, if you'll remember, we're using an article written by, I think, Dan Foster, and he approaches this subject in a way that I think is very unique, and so I wanted to borrow from that and kind of use it as our own um, and kind of change it up a little bit. But I just think it, it's it's a very unique perspective because I've listened to all kinds of sermons about spiritual maturity, spiritual immaturity. Here's the signs that you're spiritually immature. Here's the signs that you're spiritually mature. Here are the five steps to spiritual maturity. I, I've listened to hundreds of those kinds of sermons, and I'm not saying that they're wrong, but they all t- seem to follow a pretty basic template. They all seem to say, basically the same things. So I thought that this was interesting because it approaches the subject from, I think, a very unique perspective and one that may cause us to really rethink this entire issue. The premise of the article basically is like this, that there's plenty of people who go to church. They go to church, they read the Bible, they sing the songs, they do everything, but they're miserable human beings and they're not spiritually mature. In fact, the article seemed to make the argument that sometimes the very thing that you think you need to grow spiritually is the very thing that actually hinders spiritual maturity, and that is the church. We still need to do like an entire hour discussion on that. How does the church actually hinder spiritual maturity? How does the church actually lead to spiritual immaturity? Oh, there's so much we could talk about. But the first sign that he gave in his article about spiritual immaturity, or the, or the first sign of someone who's spiritually immature, was certainty. I would love to go back and talk about that, but, but we can't. Remember the today's focus? About 15 minutes long to focus on one thing. So we won't, we won't talk about that one today. We come to number two. The number two sign of spiritual immaturity The number two sign of the spiritually immature Christian is self-loathing. Self-loathing. Now, I don't think you've ever heard that mentioned, hey, in in a sermon about spiritual maturity or spiritual immaturity, is that the sign of spiritual immaturity is self-loathing. I I don't know. In fact, we'll see. We'll see. We'll listen to it. We don't have to agree with it. But we will least consider it. All right, here we go. If you meet a Christian, this is what this is how the article reads. If you meet a Christian who is stuck in a guilt and shame cycle of sinning, feeling horrible about it, beating themselves up, then repenting over and over and over and over again, then you have certainly come across a spiritually immature person. I need you to let that sink in, all right? Uh, whatever you may be doing, you may want to stop and hear that again. Listen again. If you meet a Christian who is stuck in a guilt and shame cycle of sinning, feeling horrible about it, beating themselves up, then repenting over and over and over and over and over again, you have certainly come across a spiritually immature person. 
I think sometimes the church would say, no, that's a sign of a spiritually mature person because they're, they're so sensitive to their sin. I could make an argument that way. This article is making the argument that no, no, no. If you're stuck in this guilt-shame cycle, again, of, of, of sinning, feeling horrible about it, beating themselves up, repenting, and then you just go through the process over and over and over again, that's a sign of, spiritually, of spiritual immaturity. And they ask the question, why? Well, they go on to say, you might assume that I'm suggesting that a spiritually immature person is one who has not conquered the sin in their life. But that is not the case. The real battle is not one of conquering sin. You're always going to lose that battle anyway. Oh, I like that. Now, I know many Christians will immediately go, that's not true. We can conquer sin because we now have the power of God. Look, you're going to continue sin, you're sinning your entire Christian life. The game that Christians play, and I think this is a sign of spiritual immaturity, the games that Christians play or the game that Christians play is this. What we do is we basically create a list of mortal sins, and then we have all the venial sins. And we say, no, 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 we're not Catholic. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Protestants are just as Catholic in this area. And so as long as I'm not committing these really, really big, egregious, horrible, public scandal, shameful kinds of sins, all of these other sins, I don't feel too bad about, right? I may be a jerk. I may be miserable. I may not love people. I mean, I have all of these other issues and we, and that's okay. As long as you don't commit one of the big ones. And then we convince ourselves that somehow we are spiritually victorious, even though we are sinning all the time. Again, I say this all the time. Everyone knows what I'm about to say who listened to this podcast. I'll give you three, three quick examples of how you sin all the time. First, Jesus says you are to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You never do that. That means you're continually in sin. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. You never truly do that. You're, you're living in sin. The scriptures tell us in Leviticus, and I believe in 1 Peter or 2 Peter, be ye holy as God is holy. You never accomplish that. So that means you're in a perpetual state of sin. But you walk around telling yourself, no, 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 no. I do all of these things that prove that I'm saved. What pro if, if you look to what you do to prove you're saved, I've just proved to you that you're not saved because you're in a perpetual state of sin. You're never going to conquer sin in any meaningful way because you maintain a sinful nature. So let me read this again. You might assume that I'm suggesting that a spiritually immature person is one who has not conquered sin in their life, but that is not the case. The real battle is not one of conquering sin. You're always going to lose that battle. The real battle is believing that you are loved, accepted, and cherished in spite of your sin. I would say it this way. The real battle is believing that you are declared to be holy, you are considered holy, you are forgiven in spite of your sin. The, 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 to me, the, the, the thing in the Christian life is seeing yourself in, in your positional standing, not in your practical standing. Now, some people will say, well, this means you're, go, you're telling me to ignore sin in my life. No, I'm telling you to see the sin in your life, but then see yourself in light of your position, which in your position, because of imputed righteousness, you're declared perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. You are perfect. That's, that's the reality. That is the, that's the whole reason we are saved by an imputed righteousness and not an infused righteousness. 
That's how come that I, I can't stand when people completely destroy this scripture, the idea that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, right? All things have become new. That's clearly not true practically. You still have an old nature, so clearly not all things have become new. You're clearly still a sinner, but before God, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And that's how we are to view other believers. We are to see them in light of their position, not in light of their practice. Try to think of it from a parent's perspective. Would you be upset if your children were constantly beating themselves up because they didn't think they were measuring up to your standards? Would you find it strange, if not disturbing, if they were always on their knees begging you for forgiveness? Chances are you want your kids to know they are loved. You would pick them up from the dust and say, enough of that. There is no need. Hey, don't get me wrong. The giving and receiving of forgiveness is necessary for healthy relationships, but groveling and self-loathing are not. Some Christians maintain that, that you're not fit for salvation until you realize how worthless you are. Even, even your best is nothing more than filthy rags before God, I was told. And again and again and again, yet, Yes, many of the church's doctrines instill in people over time a kind of self-loathing that makes them feel that they'll never measure up for God and anyone else for that matter. Now, I will at least try to correct this, or not really correct it, but try to change the perspective a little bit. I do believe that as a believer, we do need to see that our best is nothing more than filthy rags before God. We need to be painfully aware of our sin, but not to lead to groveling and self-loathing and to shame and guilt. It should make us flee to Christ and then see ourselves in light of his imputed righteousness. All right? Because we are, just to make sure, we're never going to measure up. We're not going to measure up to God. We're not, we're not going to measure up to, to all the standards that Christians claim that we are supposed to measure up to. Christianity falls short of the measure of that measure constantly, of that measuring stick. We fall short constantly of that. All right. And then it says, so, so, so some Christians maintain that you're not fit for salvation unless you realize how worthless you are. Well, I do believe we have to see how sinful we are. Uh, and then I w again and again and again, yes, many of the church's doctrines instill in people over time a kind of self-loathing that makes them feel they'll never measure up for God and anyone else for that matter. We'll never measure up in practice, but we measure up perfectly in our position. And they give people a big stick to help them carry out these self-inflicted beatings, the Bible. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. I love the Bible. I think it's a seriously good book. But giving, giving a Bible to an immature person is about as safe as giving a razor blade to a baby. In the wrong hands, the Bible is nothing more than a book of rules designed to enforce a kind of moralism that is largely dependent on one's ability to constantly measure oneself against those rules. It is both exhausting and impossible. I agree. When I first became a Christian, I just viewed the Bible as go through the Bible and find all the things I'm supposed to do. And that's how many sermons are. Find the text and then tell everyone, give people something to do, something to do, something to do, something to do. And if you're not careful, it just Christianity becomes viewed as moralism instead of understanding that Christianity is, it gives us the holy standard of God, which we fall short of. And our hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
They go on to say, sure, a good Christian will assert that Jesus came to free us from the obligation of the law, which is nice in theory. It's just that most churches don't actually operate out of this principle. There are most certainly clear boundaries in churches defining who's in and who's out based largely on a person's patterns of behavior. You're expected to think a certain way, act a certain way, and believe a certain thing. And that is true. Christianity is all about, nope, you, I'm sorry, you're out. You, you don't do enough good things. You didn't, you didn't, you do this and this and this. That proves you're not saved. I mean, the evangelical world completely operates under that system, completely forgetting that we're supposedly saved by an imputed righteousness. They go on to say, this system requires you to deny, repress, and keep at bay those parts of yourself that doubt, that don't measure up, and that you perceive as a threat to your sense of belonging to the group. I want you to hear that again. The system requires you to deny, repress, and keep at bay those parts of yourself that doubt, that don't measure up, that you perceive as a threat to your sense of belonging to the club. We chase away our doubts, our fears, and our dark side as if it were our enemy. The reality is, is that each of these things offers us an invitation to grow. In other words, we have to cover it up. Everyone has to pretend. Everyone has to play dress up. Everyone has to find their fig leaves and wear their fig leaves or their robe of self-righteousness. And nobody can be honest and real about their sin, their failure, their struggles. Because if we're real, well, then that may prove I'm not saved. Because we're not, we're, we don't have the assurance of an imputed righteousness. My assurance is supposed to come from my practical righteousness, which to me destroys the entire gospel. Immature people spend 90% of their time suppressing, denying, and loathing some part of themselves, and the other 10% repenting for failing to suppress and deny. Spiritually mature people are different. They rest in the fact that they are a beloved son or daughter of God and his approval of them is not based on their performance. In fact, the mature person recognizes the ugly, doubting, insecure, and fearful, fearful parts of themselves. And rather than scalding them when they show up on the scene, they have learned to welcome each one and show them grace. They all belong. They all deserve to be loved and accepted. There's much truth to that. The spiritually immature, it's self-loathing. It's measuring up. It's moralism. It's rules. And if you don't do this or don't do this, well, you're probably not saved, which creates self-righteousness, which creates a lack of honesty in one's Christian life. Two signs of spiritual immaturity. Certainty and self-loathing. Oh, we need to talk about both of them much, much more. But today's focus is about giving you that one thing so that you can spend the day thinking about it and focusing on it. Please consider how certainty and self-loathing leads to spiritual immaturity and how the church, in many cases, promotes a certainty and a self-loathing that's actually detrimental and hurtful to spiritual maturity. Meaning that in some cases, it is the church that creates the spiritually immature instead of being the place that helps develop the spiritually mature.
That is a disturbing thought. And that is your focus for today. Thanks for listening to the Today's Focus podcast series. You can always email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com.